Well, good morning. If you want to open up your Bibles, we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Last week I couldn't find my notes and I forgot my Bible. I have both this week. So we are we are in business. And we are in Hebrews chapter 11 and we're actually going to start this morning covering verses 24 to 26. As we have talked previously to the whole focus of Hebrews chapter 11 is that these are examples of men and women of faith and we can follow in their footsteps because the faith we have will enable us to do what God calls us to do. And from a Jewish standpoint, we we spent a lot of time already in this chapter on Abraham. In fact, he was the most covered. He's the founder of the faith. But in day-to-day Jewish life, the preeminent person that dominated Jewish daily existence was Moses. Because the Jewish law was everything. Temple sacrifices were everything. And the law was given by God through Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And so, from the day-to-day standpoint of a Jewish person, particularly a Jewish person who had come to faith, the towering figure that would have really impacted them was Moses. So it's not surprising that apart from Abraham, the second most attention given to someone in this chapter is to Moses. And I gave a longer introduction two weeks ago and reminded us all of what is in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, where there was already an extended coverage of Moses, pointing out the greatness of Moses, but how Jesus was superior even to this faithful man. The point of it all, though, was the writers already made it clear, Moses, by God's standard, by God's evaluation, was a faithful man. And so when he revisits this issue, and he starts presenting Moses as an example of faith, again, it's not to cower us, to intimidate us, to say, wow, what a great man, it's to make us say, hey, what Moses could do, not identically, but what he could do by faith, we can exercise that same faith to deal with the challenges of our life. So at this juncture, we had gone through eight individuals or eight examples of faith, and then Moses' parents were the ninth example of faith. That's what verse 23 was. That's what we covered a couple of weeks ago. Verse 23 just says, By faith Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the point of this was really talking about the fact that Moses' parents had faith. Their names were Amram and Jochebed, but they had faith. They did not follow the king's edict. Now, again, I provided a little bit of a context. In the Old Testament account of the history of the nation of Israel, Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob is Israel. And the entire family at one point was saved by moving to Egypt. We've already covered this in different points. Joseph was the one who God used to rescue all the people and place them in Egypt. And so God blessed them, preserved them, saved them. And when they were in Egypt, there were about 70 in number. When they were in Egypt, when Joseph was alive, life was good. Because Joseph was second only to the king, Pharaoh. They were protected. They had power. And God used that time in Egypt to begin to greatly expand the population. They were 
prospering, they were multiplying, and as is often the case, eventually a king came along who didn't remember who Joseph was. And he didn't remember that because of God bringing Joseph to Egypt, Egypt was saved. What he saw was that in his mind, the Israelites had become like a plague of locusts. There were too many of them. And again, we covered this in great detail a couple of weeks ago. But he began to try and work them and oppress them through labor, but they kept expanding. So his efforts intensified to abuse the people. And then he wanted these Hebrew midwives to kill the male babies. They didn't do it. They feared God. God honored them. So then the edict went past the midwives, went straight to the parents. The parents were supposed to kill any son who was a Hebrew, who was a Jewish boy. And the whole point of verse 23 is that Moses' parents wouldn't do that. Now, we discussed it in great detail, but at the end of the day, the point of what this text was teaching was that they feared God more than they feared man. Somehow, they knew that God had a special purpose for Moses. That reference to beautiful isn't talking just about physical appearance. It has the idea they understood something was special about this child. We don't know what or how, but they did know. But ultimately, they feared God more than they feared the king. Just as Peter and the apostles had said when they were persecuted, we must obey God rather than men. That's what Moses' parents lived out, and it was commended to them. So, in verse 23, we are introduced to Moses, and we hear about the faith of Moses' parents. But now in verse 24, we're transitioning directly to Moses himself. I'm going to read verses 24 to 26, but we're going to go through it bit by bit. But it says this, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." So the very beginning of this makes clear that there's a transition. We see in verse 23 the first three months of Moses' life. That's what we see. He was a baby and his mom hit him for three months. Now in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up. So we've jumped way ahead in the timeline. We went from three months to somewhere when he was grown up. And so I want to fill a little bit of this gap in to the extent it influences what we're going to see. We don't need to know all the details, but it will help us to have a little bit of a context. And as we did last time, to do this, we're going to have one foot in the New Testament in Hebrews and one foot in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 2. So if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 2, I shouldn't have used the foot because you're also going to have a foot in Acts. And how you get three feet, I don't know. So pick a hand up and put it in Acts chapter 7. So turn to Exodus chapter 2 and have a place there. Acts chapter 7, hold a place there, and keep a spot in Hebrews chapter 11. Now again, we need to fill in a little bit of a gap, and so we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 2, and chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 cover what is in Hebrews 11 verse 23. Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. So that's the same three-month snapshot of Moses' life. 
But then we find out some details that really put the context for where we are in Hebrews chapter 11. So I'm just going to read this. You can follow along. I'm going to read verses 3 through 10 of Exodus chapter 2. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of water. Now, I don't ever like to teach and assume everybody has heard all the children's stories. But if you spent time in church, even in Sunday school, I grew up in a church that didn't teach the Bible, but I'd heard of this story. A baby in a little basket, and there's always a picture of the basket. I have a picture in my head because I saw a cartoon when I was a kid, so it must be what it was. But it's perfectly formed basket. But it really did occur that God began to work to miraculously preserve Moses' life. Now, Moses' mom put him in a waterproof basket. Somehow she made it waterproof and put him in the water, and we can only assume that because of her faith, she trusted God was going to take care of this child. She had already exercised faith to keep him alive for three months. It seems like something had occurred, we don't know all the details, that she realized, I can't keep him at home anymore, but I trust that he'll be protected. You can read a lot of speculation about, well, maybe they strategically planted this, that, and the other. Maybe they purposely put her. It's just not there. What we do know is that she did make this basket, and she put the child in it. And Moses' sister, who we know from later in Scripture, named Miriam, Moses' sister was just keeping an eye on things, keeping an eye on the basket. And Pharaoh's daughter came along with her entourage and found the crying baby, And everything changed for Moses. Now, it's interesting because Pharaoh's daughter doesn't seem to be ignorant of the edict of her father. Okay? Now, her father is the one who said, kill all the Hebrew boys. If there's a Jewish boy, kill him. She would have known that. I think it's implicit by the fact that she had pity on him. In other words, she realized this was a child that's supposed to be killed. She could see this is a Hebrew child. How she could recognize that, I don't know. But she knew, and she knew he should have been killed, and she had compassion. Now, I think that was God working in her heart. I don't say that she's saved. I'm saying that God divinely worked to protect Moses. But it's interesting because I think she would have known by her father's decree, this baby's supposed to die, and she protected it. She kept this baby alive. Not only that, she blessed this baby because Moses' mom was able to raise her own child, the child that she was hiding, and then the child that she had 
put in a basket, God gave her back the child to raise to the time of being weaned. Now, that's significant because in though we don't know, there's now you've looked and looked and looked, you won't find in the Bible a specific reference. Well, if there is a specific reference, see, fill me in because I've missed it before. I don't see a reference that says exactly how old Moses was in verse 10 when he was brought back to Pharaoh's daughter. The implication is probably when he was weaned. And I've read a lot of speculation that that could be anywhere from when you're two to when you're five, depending on the culture, depending on the time. I've read stories that there's anecdotal, extra-biblical Jewish history that has speculations. Whatever the case, somehow or another, in the limited time that Moses' mom had him, she was able to instill in him an understanding that he was Jewish, and she was able to instill in him an understanding that Jewish people served the one true God. Now, I'm going to develop a little bit more why I say those things in a few moments. But it made a huge difference. Because at some point, Moses left the Jewish community. He no longer lived among the Hebrews. As verse 10 said, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. As far as we know, that was the end of Moses living with his family, at least at this juncture. That was the end of his time in his home. And again, we can't say conclusively how old Moses was when that occurred, whether it was three or four or whatever. But again, the implications of Scripture make it clear he was old enough to know that he wasn't Egyptian. He was old enough to know that he was a Hebrew. And it appears that he was old enough to know that there was a God called Yahweh, the one true God, that was different from the gods of all the Egyptians. Now, again, I may come back to this more because we're going to have opportunities to talk more about this as we go through the text. I'm trying to bridge this gap from the three-month window of verse 23 in Hebrews chapter 11 and where Moses is in his life when it says when he had grown up. But this much we know. Moses, when he went to live with Pharaoh's daughter, was not raised as a Jewish person. He was raised as an Egyptian. He was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh. Now, again, you won't find this specifically in Exodus chapter 2, but I told you to put a finger in Acts chapter 7 because you will find it there. If I can remind you what's going on in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is about to be martyred. He is about to be killed, but before he dies, he is vigorously defending the faith to his Jewish brethren. And part of the way he is doing that is going through and giving a history lesson to his own people based on the Old Testament scriptures, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we understand that what Stephen was saying is accurate. And if you go into Acts chapter 7 and you come all the way over... To verse 21, we start seeing the part where we're talking about today. Verse 21, and after he had been set outside, meaning this is picking up the gap here, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Verse 22, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. I think this tells us very clearly, unequivocally, 
that Moses was raised through and through as an Egyptian. You can imagine, whatever the educational system offered to Egyptians, Moses had the very best of it. I mean, the grandson of Pharaoh. He would have had the access to the very best, and so his life was spent learning everything about Egypt. He would have had their science, their whatever else was going on. No doubt he would have learned about their religious beliefs and things like that. But he was diligently trained in all the wisdom that Egypt had to offer. And it's interesting, it seems like in the eyes of the Egyptians, he was a man of accomplishments. Why do I say this? Because Stephen says that he was a man of power in words and deeds. The implication seems to be that he didn't just learn these things, that even amongst the Egyptians, they recognized this guy was special. Now, this is not negating the fact that Moses described himself as not so eloquent when God called him. I think what this is saying is that in the educational system, in the structures of Egypt, Moses showed himself to be head and shoulders above others. Even the Egyptians would have recognized this man as something else. And again, this isn't in the context of understanding Scripture and understanding what it meant to be a member of the nation of Israel. This is in the context of Moses being raised and all the learning that Egypt had to offer. He was good. We don't know the full weight of what he did But I don't think it's a stretch to think of the fact that he was probably a young superstar, a young up-and-comer in the culture, in the society, in the power structure, and all life was unfolding before him. He could have had anything. He had the wisdom. He had the, you know, it's not a matter of what you know, it's a matter of who you know. Well, he had the what and the who. When your grandfather is the king, he had all of this. In fact, he was so thoroughly trained in all the ways of being an Egyptian that outsiders, and I think this would be people who were not Jewish, not people in Egypt, but outsiders recognized him as an Egyptian, not a Hebrew. Why do I say that? In Exodus chapter 2, look a little farther over to verses 17 and 19. It skipped ahead in the story, and Moses has done something that caused him to have to run away. But he's out in the land of Midian, and he met the priest of Midian, had daughters, and the daughters had their flocks. Verse 17, then the shepherds came and drove them away, meaning the daughters. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to rule their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. In other words, in her mind, he was an Egyptian. That's what he appeared. That's what he conveyed. That's what they thought. So with this in mind, let's take stock and let's just kind of see where Moses' life is. In Hebrews 11, verse 24, when he had grown up. He was raised in his earliest years by his Jewish family, his natural family. And he must have learned during that time about God and his word and his promises. Moses may have even learned during that time about how God had miraculously spared his life. And that God was working to prepare Moses for a special service. Then Moses lived for the next several decades being trained as one of the best and the brightest in all of Egypt. 
the best education, the best training, and he stood on the doorstep of every success that you could want. And while in general the Jewish people were being abused and mistreated and they were in slavery and they were in bondage and their lives were horrific, Moses had it all. He was living a good life. He had access to the palace, to money, to power, prestige. He had everything. And that's the launching point. All this was just an introduction to our text. That's the launching point of where we are in verse 24. So let's look at verse 24 again. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I want to tell you up front as we go through the text, we know everything we need to know for us to learn the lessons God has for us here. But we don't know everything that occurred at that time. Every single detail, every single gap isn't filled in for us. But I think if we go through this carefully, which we will do over the next couple of weeks, we can get a broader picture that helps us understand the enormity of what Moses chose to do. But the starting point is this. And this is why I was saying before that I think Moses learned from his mother and father and family about God because Moses, when he had grown up, had faith. By faith, Moses. He didn't learn about the one true God from the Egyptians. I don't believe there was a school in Egypt where they were teaching you about the greatness of Yahweh. In fact, as you recall, when Moses was in the wilderness, and this isn't my notes, it always makes me dangerous when thought pops in my head, but Moses was going to go talk to the king, and Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? The Egyptians didn't know God like Moses knew God. If Moses had faith, he wouldn't have learned it in Pharaoh's household. He would have learned it from those early years, whatever influence his family had. But it's important. That's the starting point. When he had grown up after decades of instruction and indoctrination and learning everything that Egypt had to offer, he still believed in the one true God. He had faith. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up. Again, this is before the Exodus. This is before the ten plagues in Egypt. This is before the Ten Commandments came down on the mountain. This is probably 40 years before all of that. Moses' faith didn't come later in life. He had it now. And I do think, Flip back over to Acts chapter 7, whichever body part you have in Acts chapter 7. We, will, we do, it's fair to assume that what's spoken about in Acts 7.23 would line up from a chronological standpoint with what we're studying in Hebrews 11.24. I'll just read Acts 7.22. Again, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Verse 23. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. So when Moses was approaching 40, so again, I think this is the time frame that Hebrews 11:24 is talking about. Around the age of 40, he decided to see how his people were doing. And again, this is one of the points that I was making earlier that I was going to come back and support with Scripture. Moses knew who his people were and it wasn't the Egyptians. 
his brethren were not Pharaoh and all of the people of Egypt. He knew who his brethren were, according to Stephen. His brethren were the sons of Israel. Something had been so implanted in his heart that he knew, despite all of this, despite the wealth, the privileges, and everything else, he wasn't Egyptian. Even if someone on the outside, when he came in and rescued them, thought, oh, the Egyptian helped me, he knew in his heart of hearts who he was. And he wasn't Egyptian. He was a son of Israel. He was a descendant of Abraham. Again, we're putting all these puzzle pieces together, pulling these various scriptures to paint a broader picture. But it really puts some context that when it says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Again, we're starting to see a glimpse of the dividing point where he realized, I have to choose between whether I am a son of Israel or whether I am an Egyptian. Now, I would tell you, if you looked, I did not see a specific place where there's a quote in the Bible that says, and Moses stood up and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But I think what you see is in a point in time, Moses was pushed to the point of decision such that he was willing to renounce all the status he had as an adopted child. And I think that's what was occurring. I think we are being driven to see, as we piece all of this together, that Moses had to make a choice. Would he stand with his people that he knew were his people, Israel, or would he stand with his adopted mother and adopted family and adopted culture? Now, over into Exodus chapter 2. Because I think Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, is starting to zero in on the same time frame as Acts chapter 7, verse 23, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. But we can piece together all of this and see what's going on. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Now, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors and saw an Egyptian meeting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Now, Again, I want us to step back and try and put ourselves in Moses' position, if at all possible. Moses knew that he was by birth, by lineage, he was Jewish. He was a Hebrew. He was the son of Israel. And yet he also knew that everything he had was dependent upon the Egyptian culture. His adoption as Pharaoh's daughter's son set in motion all kinds of things in his life. This education that we already heard about, all this learning, the fact that he was rising to the top. But it seems that eventually the dichotomy of his life wore on him. On the one hand, he was enjoying all of everything that Egypt had to offer. He was in the upper echelons. In our culture, he was dining at the best restaurants in New York City and Washington, D.C., rubbing elbows with the top of the line. But he also understood that a lot of the backbone of the economy was slave labor of his own people. So on the one hand, he had the ability to enjoy the fruits of everything Egypt had to offer. On the other, he saw 
what this culture was doing to his own people. It appears that at some point it stirred in his heart to go look a little more closely at how his brethren were truly living. I think you could see that in Acts 7.23. And he saw, when he looked, that his people had an atrocious existence in the country that was his adopted land. He saw their hard labors according to the scriptures. Now, he saw hard labors. That's Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. This goes beyond hard work. A lot of you work hard. A lot of you have jobs that have required you to exert energy and effort. That's not what's being talked about here. This goes beyond working hard. This is talking about slave labor, abusive labor. Exodus 1.11 says that there were taskmasters over the Israelites to afflict them with hard labor. This wasn't just a matter of doing hard labor. This was supposed to be punishing. This was supposed to hurt them, and it did. Exodus 1.13 and 14. They compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them, they were literally trying to work them to death. This wasn't someone choosing a hard career. This was an entire race of people, hundreds of thousands of them, mistreated solely because they were Jewish. They were literally being worked to death. As I was preparing this yesterday, I couldn't help but think about, and I enjoy history. I'm not nearly as knowledgeable as I should be, but I've read a lot of history over the years, particularly about World War II. As a young boy, it fascinated me. My grandfather was in the Navy during World War II, and so it fascinated me to hear stories of my mom with her dad gone for three years. You know, you didn't have a choice. That was America. Everyone was going that way. But you could look at the activities of the Japanese, but also the Germans, at how they treated people they captured, people they viewed subhuman. They literally worked them to death. Not sort of to death. I mean, literally, people would drop and they'd keep going. They would abuse them to the point they just treated them inhumanely. No mercy, no relief. Somebody drops, you just walk right over them. That's the picture that popped in my mind of what was happening to Moses' people. So you can imagine him stepping out of the confines of the palace where he had everything. A wonderful life with all the money. And then walking out and seeing the pain and suffering of his people. And it left Moses at a crossroads. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see how Moses responded. I'm going to stop here this morning. But here's the crossroad. Moses has come down to look at the lot of his people. Stephen records this. Exodus records this. Moses comes down and looks, and he sees what's going on, and he's faced with a choice. Does he continue to enjoy the life of luxury and the wealth and the power Or does he walk away from all of that and throw in his lot with a despised, oppressed, helpless people? Does he choose God 
or does he choose comfort? Now, it may not jump out immediately, but I think it's really true. And we will see this over time. And if you know the end of the story, you know the choice Moses made. But that really is the choice that every single one of us in America has to make at some point. Do we want the things that this world and our culture and our society offers, or do we want God? I think it's appropriate this morning, and I was thinking even my own heart as we prepare to celebrate Easter, we need to examine our hearts. Have we truly chosen Christ? 1 John two fifteen and 17 has a piercing challenge for all hearts. Verse 15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. That could have been written about Moses. That's what he dealt with. And the challenge for us, even as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, is have we truly broken free of the love of the material comforts that we have? I am not a doomsdayer. If I was, I would probably be on a news circuit or writing papers or something. But I really believe more than ever that we're approaching a time where being a Christian is going to cost you something in America. I had a lot of friends in seminary from the former Soviet Union. As some of you know, the origins of my family, probably as near as we could tell, would be Ukrainian. Met several people from Ukraine, actually got to go and preach in the Ukraine. But one of the things they talked about was the difference in the church under communism And after the walls came down, I actually had dinner with a man who had been arrested over a hundred times in Kiev, had been beaten with pipes. The way they worshipped on Sundays is they would have a secret place in the woods outside of town and they would meet. There was a group of people that their goal every Sunday was to find the Christians and beat them and curry favor with the communists. Here was the point of all that. They said when someone was a part of the church then, you could trust them. Because they counted the cost. It was hard. It was not easy to be a Christian. And while I thought that the former Soviet Union was entirely godless, it wasn't. God had a remnant. But guess what happened when communism fell in its form at the time? Bad churches proliferated. False teaching came in didn't cost anything to join a church and people got to the point where they couldn't even trust the people in church with them anymore because they didn't know my point in saying that is actually to suggest that if we come into a phase in america where it costs something to be a christian it will be purifying for the church because the looky-loos will quickly drop aside And I would encourage you even now, if it was going to cost you your job, if it was going to cost you your house, if it was going to cost you your insurance, if it was going to cost you your vehicles, could you make the choice that Moses made? If it was going to cause you to not have to rely on yourself and you would have no hope but to rely on God, could you do that? 
That's the picture the text is painting as the choice before Moses. And I would just encourage you, as we think about what Christ did for sinners like us, think about where your heart is and make sure your heart is in the right place this morning. Let me close our time with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I can't help but think about my childhood when a lot of people came to church one Sunday a year and this was the Sunday. Lord, I pray that this morning services will be well attended, but not for the sake of numbers, Lord, but so that people can hear about Jesus Christ. Lord, if any of us have grown apathetic or lazy in our faith, or if we're lukewarm, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a passion for you. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to walk away from every material blessing. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to be called outcasts in our own country if that's what was required to serve Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to learn from the example of Moses, that you would give us hearts to be able to emulate the faith that this great man of God possessed. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.